Welcome to the Jay and Silent Bob Minute. We're covering the movie Dogma, one minute at a time. Today we're covering Minute 116, quite possibly the greatest Mr. Miyagi Minute ever. I'm Jeff Ferry. And I'm Luke Allen. That's right. We're getting a little a little Pat Morita in our Kevin Smith today. Who knew Karate Kid was such a big hit in heaven? Yeah, it was interesting. But I will, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it up right now. I jokingly, for a while, when you mentioned the whole quote thing, I nearly thought, well, I'll just go wax once off just to <laughs> confuse things. But, um... <laughs> I have got a better one, which I'll do in a bit. But um, <laughs> quite interestingly, I remember when this scene came up, I was at a church event in which they did an entire sermon about the Karate Kid and specifically <laughs> Wax On, Wax Off. Um, basically in the concept of sometimes, you know, well, you know, he, he was doing Wax On, Wax Off and didn't properly realise what he was being prepared for. And that was essentially what the sermon was about, was that sometimes you go through troubles or you go through these really odd and stressful situations not realizing that it's character building for something um and it was it was a a very good talk but yeah it's just interesting whenever i think of the karate kid and specifically that line i'm reminded of that sermon so i'm sure mike pulavachi who did that sermon is is like loving that and the, the number of us that probably have that um but yeah it was just interesting seeing it in a religion religious based film it's, um, it's I, <laughs> I used to do it. I, I mean, I used to, I say like, I still don't do this. So my daughter growing up, if she got hurt or did whatever, I would do that. I would, you know, slap your hands together and you rub them together and you put your hands on it. Cause it does feel nice. It feels like it, it, their hands are warm and you, you know, you're rubbing it. It feels better. She had never seen the karate kid at that point. So when she's like 12, maybe we're watching the karate kid for the first time. And the first time in the movie where Mr. Miyagi does that, she looks over at me like, Oh, I thought you came up with that. I'm like, oh, I did it first. <laughs> like, I think, I think I might be um, like kicked out of the film industry for saying this. I've only ever absorbed the Karate Kid through pop culture. I've never like sat and watched it. Uh, the Karate Kid is a legit good movie. Yeah, it, it, it's not been like any uh, anything. Yeah, it's just literally been been on my shelf. I've just never got round to it. It, and like no, I need to. But there's it has, so and well, I would say the first one is. A, I'll say this: the, the very first Karate Kid is a legitimate, very good movie. The second one is a legitimate, watchable movie. The third one is a movie you only watch if you're going to watch Cobra Kai. I have heard some brilliant things. Cobra Kai is. I need to get round to. Cobra Kai is so good because it's so much better than it has any right to be. It has That's no right so to be as good as it is, and then they based it on like. Let's, I mean, Karate Kid is a good, fairly well-remembered movie, but like, and we all remember a few, because it had very iconic moments to it that are in pop culture, like you said, yeah. but like, it's not a seminal movie of our times, and then they make this series off it, which I watched on a joke, thinking this movie, this series is going to stink, and I'm going to laugh at it, and you watch one episode of it, you're like, I'm totally drawn into this dumb mo- this dumb show. It's probably a really stupid comparison, but um, I had that with the High School Musical series. They did um, the series, the series, musical, that one. Yeah, High School Musical, the musical, the series. Is I grew up around the time of High School Musical. I was then about in a school production of High School Musical. So then this dropped that dropped on Netflix, on Disney Plus, and I was like, ah, yeah, it'd be a bit of fun. Or what? And I was like, actually, this is like good <laughs> and, <laughs> and interesting and self-aware. And yeah, I, 
I, I have to admit, I can't remember if I've watched the whole like, later seasons now, but I definitely watched at least all of the present <laughs> and was like, that was a solid show. And I do yeah. love it when something, as you said, is, is better than it has any right to be. I mean, one of my all-time favourite films is Paddington 2. There is no reason for that film to be one of the greatest comedies of all time. But it is. It, is. <laughs> it just is. It's just incredible. The first one's brill, but the second one, it's just like... I've watched... Um, I don't know how well he, how well known he is in the states, but I'm a I'm a fan of Mark Kermode, the the film critic, um, who's like who's like Britain's main film critic, uh, and he did a documentary series about like the great comedies of all time, and he's kind of like going through you know these sort of like Mel Brooks classics and all the rest, and Paddington Two is just among these like <laughs> gems of comedy, and I was like, yeah, no, that's that's fair, yeah. <laughs> it's a very good film. <laughs> And it's funny because I think I, somebody finally torpedoed it on Rotten Tomatoes. I know, I know, somebody went on there and finally gave it a bad review, so it would yeah, it, it would go down. Citizen Kane, it was like number one. Yeah, it was like, but that's just somebody being a contrarian of like you're watching something that like even if you don't get it, that's see that's where think people bother me when you watch something that I can watch something outside of my genre that I may not even enjoy and still say that's brilliant, that's great stuff. Like you can watch 2001 and be like, wow, I would never watch that again brilliant movie but like yeah, no, you know okay, not in my fair. wheelhouse that's probably me um with pretty much every star wars i i don't get it. it it's not me but i can watch it and go that is a well-made film and i get why people like it <laughs> yeah i i'm more like that with music like there's lots of musical genres i don't particularly like but like yeah when i hear people no they're great they're great singers i just i don't want to listen to it <laughs> that's yeah, why it doesn't bother me like that we do Kevin Smith, which is a very niche type thing to do. It's like yeah. he's not a – he's huge in his group. But outside of it, people are like, what's that? Well, and people are it. like, among, oh. Among filmy people and you know, either people in the industry or people in the sort of film fan world, you mentioned Kevin Smith. He's like – I mean, you know all those memes about like the iceberg? He's like top of the iceberg. Like he's a name that everyone knows. But if I just go around like into my local supermarket and tap someone on the shoulder and say, do you know Kevin Smith movies? They probably don't. No, probably not. They probably like, say, who are you? Go away, please. I'm trying His to highest grossing movie. We looked this up earlier in the year. His highest grossing movie is Cop Out, which made – and that didn't that make a lot. It was probably Smith like – it's like 70 million. This movie made um, mid-40s, I think. I mean – he makes his living aside from his other his podcasts and tours and stuff like that. Yeah. He makes small budget movies that make a tidy profit, and that's all he's got to do now. Like, well, yeah, he's he's the. I mean, Kevin Smith and Tarantino are like the prime examples of people who talk about indie filmmakers that manage to make it. Oh, see, now that's when that gets, and then I, then I give him the sideways eyeball because I'm like, well, there's indie filmmaker, and then there's indie filmmaker. Quentin yeah, Tarantino was independent as in not hooked to a studio where Kevin Smith was independent like I put this on my credit cards <laughs> yeah no absolutely there, there is there are the two completely different sides to it you know there are cobbling together I mean I'm I'm indie filmmaker of oh no the budget's shorter than I you know I've got less money than I need I'm gonna start going over the street and washing people's cars in order <laughs> to pay for the extra hotel that I hadn't thought about you know that's that, that, that's the level of indie filmmaking that you don't see enough about uh, and um, it's, there's a big big hood uh, and on something. in fact I can just say it and we can cut it out right uh, I wouldn't do that because I wouldn't trust that we'll edit it that's fair yeah no that's fair <laughs> never, never trust that Chris and I are going to edit something 
<laughs> because I might say yes, and then he'll be the one that edits it, and he'll be like, he didn't tell me anything. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fair. Hush. I think yeah. it's about big project yeah. basically well i always enjoyed that kevin even after he made it he never gatekeep the people behind him he was always yeah. like listen i'm a schlub from new jersey who had in his own words i have no talent and i just tried really hard and that's what you should do now well, he's lying great. he does have talent but like <laughs> what well, it's like i've often said to people when they're like oh but there's no opportunities you know yeah don't don't wait for the opportunity to turn up yeah you Make think it. You think where I live is the hotbed of, you know, independent filmmaking? Uh, no. Uh, you know, certainly not where Kevin lived. It wasn't. Well, that's it. Because someone, I was chatting with someone recently. Because for some reason, I was asked to give a lecture in a university. Um, and I said yes, because that's a weird thing. But, <laughs> and, mm. you know, people were asking about, like, oh, how do you establish yourself as a writer? Or how do you know, get people to see your scripts or anything else? It's like, write them and make them. Just, just don't don't wait around for someone to ask to see your script, or don't wait around. You know, figure out who you email things to or anything else. Just write it and make it. <laughs> yeah, I used to tell that to my uh, my daughter when she would audition for stuff, and I'd be like, "Listen, you're going to audition a lot, and you're not going to get stuff. Like that's just the way it is. Or you'll get, you know, you might get something else, or you don't get anything at all. You never hear from them again." And she's like, "Oh, you know, but you know, she at first she had that thing of like." You know, every rejection is yeah. like they personally don't like me. Yeah. I was like, they don't even know who you are. I was like, you're a person they saw for 30 seconds. And then I pulled up on the computer. I submitted – I had a, a bunch of short stories that I would submitted for publication. And every time they would reject something, I would throw it in a folder, my rejection mm-hmm. folder. And I opened it up and it's just like – there's a million of them. I'm like, there you go. There you go. I was yeah, like – I wrote a um, – <laughs> uh, that well, that romantic comedy that I talked about um, – uh, I submitted it to the BBC. Um, they've still not read it, um, but I'm expecting that they're going to read it and go, nah, we've had like 5,000 other things. We're not going to pay any attention to it. <laughs> at, at which point I will either go to someone else or I will go, well, I'll find the money and I'll make it. Like there was once when I first started out, like when the first couple of times I submitted something to be looked at, it was so long ago that they weren't all accepting emails. Some of them still took actual submissions by mail. Mm. I got a rejection letter from the Alfred Hitchcock Publishing Company, and I was like, we'll just hold on to that one. <laughs> I was like, I was happy to get the rejection. <laughs> yeah, no, that's – anyway, I'll go back into the minute. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what was I to talk about, I guess? Yeah, well, we'll get there. I mean, the, the, the thing is it's it, – especially when you chunk it into a minute like this. I mean, Mr. Miyagi's the most – except for Kevin's face acting might be the most exciting thing this minute because I don't know if Kevin had to think about like – himself like um you know dying or whatever but he has emotion all over his face when they yeah, show he's, him he's very very how much uh, i i should know this but i don't um had he done any acting stuff before he went and made clothes um theater acting he was oh god what did he play in greece he was kanicki um, no yeah so he'd been in because him and his buddy were both in it a couple couple guys who show up in clerks were they've been in a couple things i know he did um oh what's the uh your good man charlie brown yes but again he was like ensemble it's not like he was one of the main people these are just the ones i could think of him talking about like he did a couple theater shows a year but like when he originally and he says when he originally wrote clerks he wrote randall for himself like you know he wanted to be randall and then he quickly realized 
he says, oh, I couldn't do everything. I couldn't write, produce, and, and, and I go, I think at some point he realized there's a lot of dialogue to know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. I've always also been uncertain, because we talked earlier about the, the concept of writing yourself into something. I've also always felt like when I'm like writing and producing, and then I'm like, oh, and this part's for me. I've always felt like it's an insult to the actors that I just turn up and go, oh, no, I can do your job as well. <laughs> like I've spoken to actors since, and most of them don't mind. But that's always been a thing I've been conscious of. It's like I brought you in to do a job, yeah. and then I'm just doing what it myself. Well, it came home to roost for uh, for Kevin one time because his first couple of movies, Clerk, Small Rats, Chasing Amy, he was like an Aaron Sorkin screenplay guy of like, nope, you read exactly what's in there, word for word, with all the correct commas. That's the way it's got to be. And so he, that's the way he made him do it. So even like Ben Affleck, he, no, you read it exactly like I said. And then there's the very last scene in Chasing Amy where he has a really long speech. It's the most that Silent Bob ever speaks, really. Yeah. And he couldn't do it. He couldn't remember it. So he just starts ad-libbing as he's going. And Ben Affleck's like, what the hell? You said we couldn't ad-lib. He's like, I'm the writer, bitch. I'm allowed to ad-lib. <laughs> <laughs> and it's that kind of stuff. It's, but then he hit Dogma. And he talks about it. He's like, listen. He's like, I got Alan Rickman. You know, Linda Fiorentino, you know, I'm going to I'm going to tell an Alan Rickman how to act. He, he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And then he's like, and I got Chris Rock and George Carlin. If they tell me, hey, I think this is funnier. Guess what? They're right. Yeah, I remember. Um, I think I'm good to say this. Um, I remember uh, a project I'm on. I'll, I'll leave the, the names out just in case. But uh, the director, we had this this fairly big talent. The director said, first thing I'm going to do is like the moment they do a scene. I'm going to give them direction to do it again so that they know that they're going to be treated the same as all the rest of the actors. And then it got to the end of our time filming with that person and the director went up to me and he went, I've not given them any direction like for this whole filming because every scene has been perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and there are a few people like that. You know, one take wonders. Just like turn up and it's just like, well, that's it. I'm supposed to tell you what to do, but that, that's it. Yeah, and Kevin would talk about that. He's like, some people are like, you know, in between scenes, they got to they gotta stay at that emotional level. They got to be there, whatever. And he's like, and then there's like just guys that are like, you're like cut. And they walk off and they're like, hey, all right, I'm going to go get something to eat. And they just walk. He's like, it could be the most. He's like, I would watch guys the most emotional scene ever. They're crying their eyes out. And you're like, man, I believe in this. I'm in my heart. I believe this guy. And then they're like, action lunch. And they're like, oh, what's for lunch? And they walk off. Like, that amazes me. Like, I yeah. <laughs> just like. It's, it's, it's insane. It's one of the. Yeah, and then, then you get the ones that go the other way. We're like, I've been in character for six months, and you're like, oh, God. And, of course, you have the people who play really lovely characters and aren't quite so lovely on set. Luckily, there's uh, not so many of them. Oh, yeah. Most, it mostly works the other way around. Well, people it's... People like that don't tend to last very long. It's, that's one of the things that... I, it's one of the reasons Kevin can get high-priced talent at discount prices is that he runs legendarily awesome sets yeah. of, like, everyone's treated with respect... You know, it's done in a timely fashion. That's why he's able to get people to keep coming back at not well, their normal rates. Because they're like, oh, this is a good experience. I don't have to get treated like garbage for a little while. Yeah, well, that's it. And it's like, I've, um, uh, there's a quote, uh, I think Tom Hollander said it. I'm going to focus on the uh, and not, it's not Tom Holland. Tom <laughs> Hollander said it. Um, about his experience on, on About Time was that he was only needed for a few days. But he booked a holiday around the same area as they were filming so that he could come and visit the set and watch them because he just liked being there. <laughs> and I was like, more than making a good film, I want that. 
I want the f- I want to run the film sets that actors want to come back to, even when. They're- oh yeah, the ones where like when something bad does happen, it's such an outlier. Like when he had his huge problem with Bruce Willis, that was such an outlier that it sticks out, and it's it's not very hard to figure out who the problem is. Yeah, absolutely. of like, oh wait a minute, everybody else has no problem, and now there seems to be an issue when you're there. Now I don't want to speak ill of the man. I know he has problems now, but. I mean, I've already done it for three seasons. Why stop now? <laughs> but he said, yeah, I, I mean, if you if you could ever find it, there's a clip online somewhere of years later, Bruce Willis called Kevin on the phone just out of nowhere. And he's just like, um, hey, Kevin, what's going on? And they just had like a totally normal conversation. And Kevin's like, what is going on? <laughs> he's just like he – asked. he said he asked Bruce Willis on the phone, were you visited by three ghosts last night? <laughs> <laughs> but he said he just thought Bruce was unaware. Of how bad it was. Yeah. Like in his mind, it was fine. That was just normal business. No, I think I've I've seen that a few times. Yeah, um, I have felt like it's been some of the worst experience. And yet the next day, they're just same old. Or, right. or you know, actors though. There's there's stuff out that that then yeah, crew members and cast members. Once again, minimal. But you only have to be on a couple of sets to to meet one or two characters. And now, <laughs> um, yeah, and now for talking about this minute where I get into one of my conspiracy theories. I think Silent Bob has a touch of the divine because he's the only one who has any interaction with God who is not totally blown away by it. Hmm. Like she taps him on the shoulder and just nods at him and he just kind of like backs up. Meanwhile, when Jay looked at her, he passed out. Everybody else seems to like really be blown away when God shows up and he just kind of steps back. Like, you know, he gives ground to her because, you know, she's God or whatever, but like he doesn't seem as, I mean, he could be in shock too. (laughs) But like, I just like, you know, what fun is having a movie by minute project if you can't throw conspiracy theories at it? Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> and we, 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 we see in this scene that Silent Bob is capable of emotions. Yeah. Um, and, and therefore, yeah, why is he? Like, no, if that, you, that is interesting. if I'm going to go on the, uh, the Stephen King level of it, of where he has the dark tower of how high you can be, like, and we're humans, we're at the bottom. Like, maybe Kevin Smith or uh, Silent Bob is like one level up. He's got a little, just a little, a little touch to him. Um, the other evidence in this movie is it started out as a joke, but now as evidence earlier on the train, when he throws them off, he throws the two angels off. When he grabs a hold of Bartleby, he calls him Schuler Bib, which is allegedly it was supposed to be German. It's not. It's just it, they're kind of nonsense words. But when interviewed, uh, Ben Affleck said, "Well, oh, that's because he was our ancient enemy." <laughs> it makes no sense, but like I'm like I'm willing to accept that. <laughs> No, I, I love that. I love these kind of things. I, I love when the cast have their own sort of theories and ideas. And sometimes I sometimes I think it is possible that actors know their characters better than... I think fairly frequently, to be fair, is a thing I've heard someone say is like, writers, if you want to know about your characters, ask the actors. Oh, yeah. And I think the smart writer knows, like, once you've written it and you hand it in... Uh, you know, they can really do what they want. There's only so much you're going to get at that point, especially if you're just a, a pay-by-whatever writer. Like, you just turned it in. You could turn it in, and it's going to be something completely different. But, like, as you're hoping they stayed within the confines of basically what you wrote. But, like, don't you kind of want to make it? I mean, you want them to make it their own a little bit. Otherwise, it's going to be stale. Yeah, I, well, I remember um, being sat on a Q&A panel for a short film. Um, you know, I, I think I was quite shoddy with the script, to be honest. I, I've definitely improved as a writer since then. Um, but I was sat on a Q&A panel with some of the actors, and they were answering questions, and they were like, well, what I loved about the character is she clearly has this sort of past, and, and I just thought, 
yes, sure, yep. Yeah. <laughs> you know, smiling and, and nodding as yeah, I always intended this. Yeah, oh, I'm glad you picked up on that. Oh, yeah, yeah. What's the king? What's the king? What on earth? <laughs> What's it called? Now, it's hilarious because Kevin calls back to this in Clerks Three. He makes a joke about something somebody said to him at a, a Q and A one time. He said at a Q and A one time, somebody said, "I loved when you made Clerks and you made it in black and white, so it looks like it's the convenience store cameras." Like it's the CCTV watching everybody. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's why I made it like that. <laughs> it's just like not because it was cheaper to light if I got, you know, black and white because color film was too expensive to try to light. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 fascinating. I think um, it's one of the other things why I really like working in film and being a movies by minutes person because I'm sometimes doing stuff, making these really weird decisions and kind of thinking, I wonder what the MXM people are going to think of this. <laughs> because they're... Um, obviously, I was um, a director for one of the films that I, I produced last year. Um, sent me an early cut. I was like, oh, I'm not quite sure I like how... Uh, you know, the, the coverage we've got here. I don't think it looks right or anything else. And I was like, nah, you put that in front of a movie by minute person and they'll come up with a detailed reason as to why this one angle is specifically the one you stay on for a bit and what this represents and everything else. I was like, you watch it and you know that that's not what you had in mind <laughs> and that it, it's a failure. No one else knows what you had in mind and they will take it as an artistic decision. Yeah, I, I've re-listened to episodes we've done down the road like a year or two later and I'll hear us over the course of the thing slowly start to concoct some crazy backstory that goes on. I'm just like, what are we talking about? And like, it may work within the confines of that, but like, it sounds crazy. And I'm always like, I don't know that they put like, there's sometimes you may talk about something for literally hours that somebody probably never gave more than a half a second thought about. Absolutely. And I, I love that. I think that is fascinating. And it's a true kind of sign of the, of the, of the magic of, of cinema that you, that someone can get something out and something so minor um, but just because you you know I, I I do believe subliminal that for example you look at like colour schemes well they might just oh yeah just be nice reasons to why I think a lot of filmmakers deep down have kind of subconsciously made those decisions I mean um, including right here like is Bethany wearing white because she's the white as in the good or the pure or the virginal? Well, that's it. We've got potentially an immaculate conception. Yeah. And she's wearing white. Like, it's, it, is it almost, yeah, sort of a, a innocent and virginal kind of concept? I mean, is that what they're trying to it, Or it literally could have been, we tried four shirts on her and the white one is the one that made her eyes look the best. Yeah, yeah. And the blood <laughs> is a bit clearer. Yeah. You know, it, it's, yeah. It's it's fascinating. That's why um, it's why sometimes you'll hear the backstory on things and it will ruin your childhood. Not ruin it, but or it gives you a different perspective. The the first one I think I always think of is Raiders of the Lost Ark when he shoots the guy with the sword. Yeah. Where like if you don't know the backstory on that, you just think, Yeah, you look at that. Indiana Jones is a badass. And then if you hear the backstory, you're like, Oh no, he just really wanted to go to the bathroom that day and was sick. <laughs> and it's like, I cannot do this sword fight with this guy. Please don't make me do this. And it is sometimes interesting, yeah, when things get written in based around stuff like that, which I think is why when you've got, um, obviously it's always possible, when you've got the writer who is also the director, they kind of can make those sorts of creative decisions a bit more so around things like that. You know, we've had cast who are who are less available for certain scenes and you talk to the writer and it's like, okay, yeah, well, we just, we'll just in the earlier scene that we get to shoot, we'll add this line of dialogue that explains why she isn't here later on. And obviously, like, that isn't 
commonplace, but occasionally you have to do it. Yeah. To general audiences watching it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this minute ends with, hey, everybody, Bethany's back. She's only been dead for a minute and a half, but I mean, I guess she's technically been dead for, since three weeks ago, but we didn't know she was dead then. She just was hit by the light of God. I don't know. I, I said at the time, I didn't like how she was martyred. I would have preferred if something kind of accidentally hit her. I don't think if your martyrdom comes that the actual – if God is the one that kills you, is are you, are you still martyred? <laughs> yeah, it, I, I do like the idea of the sort of accidental thing because I also – I like um, – I mean you look at like stuff like Macbeth where they have all these like prophecies and they all come true but in the ways that you don't expect. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, and a lot of them are very kind of incidental. And I really like when that sort of thing happens on screen, you know, when it's like, well, yes, that is what was expected to happen but – not in the way you expected it to happen. Yeah. I think. Yeah, the, I yeah the, um, the example of that in this movie is when she's told that two prophets will come and they will call themselves prophets or they will, they will mention prophets and it's not that prophets. He's talking about making money and he's like, we're going to go back to New Jersey and make ourselves some prophets. Listen, yeah. now there's a lot of shoe leather on that joke to get it in there. Like yeah. it was not the smoothest transition to there. <laughs> I said that at the time, but like it got you where you needed to be. It, it's good. Yeah. It's it possibly feels like a, a joke that was executed punched on first. Oh, absolutely. He's like, oh, but, I'm going to use profits and profits, and I'm going to make this work. We we did that. Uh, you know, I started writing recently. We were like, we need a solid ending with the twist, so we're going to start with the twist <laughs> and work backwards, and that that can work. Not always, but in in the case, hopefully, we'll see. I I like to hope it works. Uh, <laughs> Like you said, there's there's no wrong way to do it. Some people will start with their twist and work back. Uh, there's the weird – I've read Stephen King's book on how he writes. He literally starts with an idea and just starts writing. He has no idea where it's going. I've, do, I've done that a lot of the time. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah. I, sometimes I write 150, 200 pages and I'm like, this isn't going anywhere. And I just throw it away. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> just like – just the thought of doing that is just like, oh, my God. I often I – don't, I don't often do treatments, to be fair. I'll, I might have a rough time. But I tend to just open up Final Draft, type in fade in, and then just see what happens. <laughs> it was funny because I had I have one book that I published, and I have some uh, somewhere I still have. I never had an outline. I had like eight bullet points. Mm. It's going to go from here to here to here to here, and they don't match up to where it goes. <laughs> but, but I think I think that it's important to sometimes allow yourself that that freedom. You know, I've been writing stuff sometimes where there's a really throwaway line of dialogue that I write where I'm like. Oh no! Actually, if I rework the ending, we can call back to this, and it's better than the ending yeah. originally. It's like I, and I think if you give yourself a treatment, sometimes you can't do that because you you don't allow yourself to you don't allow yourself to go on the journey with your characters a bit. So, I mean, what I've got at the moment, I probably won't actually turn into a treatment, but I've just got two whiteboards that my co-writer and I yesterday have just scribbled out like every rough idea on, very unstructured, but just a. We'd be like spitballing it. Oh, we can have that line of dialogue. Pop that there. Pop that there. Pop that there. And I will just leave those whiteboards written on until the script's done. So we're going to find out on Friday. She's alive, but I wonder if anything else has happened. Not like we've mentioned it eight times this already this week. <laughs> yeah, I'm already wondering. What, what do we talk about next episode? We kind of discussed it. <laughs> ah, I'm sure we'll come up with something. All right. Well, pl- plug something. Plug away. Uh, I will continue to plug askseeknock.co.uk, which is as a writer, producer, production manager, I guess podcaster and public speaker, if you want that as well, uh, as well as being a crew call for any UK-based uh, film projects. 
because we've all struggled to find stuff and you know i've had half a crew gathered and i need the other half and i can't find it anywhere and you put a post in the facebook group and they're like hang on why aren't you paying everyone or da, 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 da. and it's like mate aren't they? <laughs> uh, and people just complain. whereas i've got a, a lovely circle of people who of course would love to be paid and that is best but also you know would would not turn down unpaid opportunities get that that foot up the ladder so if you're you're making a film and you hate film facebook groups um then uh, pop on to askseeknock.co.uk and we'll try and help you uh if you're looking for us we're over at dolanjammer.com um there's not just movies by minutes there they got some uh audio dramas they they have a, a weekly franchise thing that they're doing they're actually actually we're a relic of the past over there with movies by minutes they've they've moved well beyond that now <laughs> Um, make sure you check us out our group, uh, Jane, Silent Bob, Quicker Stop. Go in there. You know, tell me how dumb I am, how bad my impressions are, like how great my singing is. You know, whatever you need to do. And as we learned this minute, the person that Bethany was there to save is the one that ended up martyring her. Isn't it ironic? Who's Listen, sometimes the jokes are just there and they're just too easy not to use. <laughs> um, did you – how old are you? 19. Okay. I knew you were young. Did you have any idea who Alanis Morissette is? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs>